Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Samuel 20? David's exile begins. Saul has tried to kill him more than once. It's interesting because we'll see here that Saul keeps expecting him to come back to the dinner table every time they eat, you know. But uh, David has moved away from the place where he was with Samuel and Saul came in because he knew that Saul would still try to kill him. So we pick up the story then in 1 Samuel chapter 20 with a, with a, um, a, a, with further attention to David's friend, Jonathan, Saul's son. And then we really see how twisted Saul is uh, more in this uh, chapter. David fled from Naut in Ramah, and he came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my transgression and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far be it, you shall not die. My father will do nothing, either great or small, that he will not reveal to me. And why should my father conceal this thing from me? It is not true. Jonathan is struggling with his loyalties. Of course, his loyalty to his father and his loyalty to his very dear friend, David. So Jonathan is in denial. And David swore further and said, your father knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he said, let not Jonathan know this, lest he become saddened. But indeed, as Yahweh lives, by the life of your soul, there is but a step between me and death. Jonathan, Jonathan said to David, what your soul will say, I shall do for you. David pleading with Jonathan to help him understand what's going on. David trying to make Jonathan understand what's going on because Jonathan doesn't really think that when Saul did those things, he was doing it really to kill David. He was, he was just in some sort of deep depression and he pitched a fit and it just happened to have been when David was there. David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow's a new moon. And I'm accustomed to sit with the king to eat and you shall let me go that I may hide in the field until the evening of the third day. Now, this was an important family gathering. It was, it was a family meal that was, that was a special thing where they came before the Lord uh, together at the new moon. And of course, the king was accustomed to the tradition as well. And David would sit at his table. David, of course, was his son-in-law. I'll go to the field until the evening of the third day. In other words, I'm just not going to come to that meal 
the king is accustomed for me being there, sitting beside him, but I'm just not going to go. If your father is mindful of me, you shall say, David took leave of me to hasten home to Bethlehem, his city, for it is the yearly sacrifice there for the whole family. So they, they make up a, a story, a fib. And if he says thus, good, then it is well with your bondsman, with your servant. But if he becomes angry, know that the evil has been decided upon by him. And you shall do kindness with your bondsman, for into the covenant of the Lord, that is, into the covenant of Yahweh, they have come before Yahweh. Have you brought your bondsman with you? And if there be guilt in me, put me to death yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. For if I know that the evil has been decided upon by my father to come upon you, would I not tell you that? So, Jonathan now is expressing loyalty more to David, really, than to his own father. And here's why. We'd have to go back in several chapters, but Jonathan knows that David is to be the king of Israel, not Saul. Jonathan's loyalty to David is a loyalty to Yahweh and to the Messiah who is to come. Confused about the state of his father's um, condition, he still holds on to the possibility that Saul doesn't really mean this evil upon David. And so David is offering a test. Let's just put the thing to a test. David said to Jonathan, who will tell me or what your father will answer you harshly? And Jonathan said to David, come and let us go out of the field. And both of them went out to the field. And Jonathan said to David, by Yahweh, by, by Yahweh the, the God of Israel, that I shall sound out my father at this time on the third morrow. And behold, if it is good for David, will I not send for you then and reveal it to you? So if he misses more than one day, if he misses two days, then on the third day, that is two days at the feast, then on the third day he'll send for him and say, hey, everything's okay. Uh, Daddy's just real happy and, and, uh, and, and everything's cool. That's, that's what he says. I'll send for you if it's okay and reveal it to you. So shall Yahweh do to Jonathan and more also if it pleases my father to bring evil upon you. I shall reveal it to you and I shall send you away that you may go in peace and may Yahweh be with you as he was with my father. And I shall not ask of you if I'm still alive, will you not do kindness of Yahweh with me that I die not? And you shall, and you shall not discontinue your kindness from my household forever, not even when Yahweh cuts off David's enemies, each man from upon the face of the earth. Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David and may Yahweh demand it from the hand of David's enemies. Okay, here's how this goes. Jonathan says this. 
If my father means evil to you, I do not want that to affect our friendship and I don't want the manner of the transfer of power to come into Saul's household. So, so, so Jonathan says, look, I know that Yahweh is with you. And I'm asking you, when you become the king, not to destroy my household. Now, he had every right to in, in those days under those conditions. But he said, I'm asking you not just this, but of course that Yahweh will cut off your enemies from the face of the earth. So they're making a covenant. Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. And what that means is that the house of Jonathan would continue. Now, Jonathan would have been the one to take the throne at the death of his father. So in most cases in that kind of world, that would have presented a problem. David is not the son of Saul. As a matter of fact, they're not even from the same tribes. This would not have seemed to be something that would have been the correct thing to do for David when he becomes king. Jonathan, on the other hand, says, look, please, I'm going to do this and I'm going to help you out with my dad. But I want you to make a covenant between my household and your household. So this is the kind of a thing that was to be established generation after generation. And may Yahweh demand it from the hand of David's enemies. Jonathan continued to make David swear in his love for him, for he loved him, for he loved him the love of his soul. And Jonathan said to him, tomorrow is the new moon. If you'll be remembered for your seat, you will be remembered for your seat will be vacant. For three days you shall hide very well and you shall come to the place where you hid on the day of work and you shall stay beside the traveler's stone. So David is going to be a place where he will hide and only Jonathan will know where he is hiding. So on the new moon, this very special feast before the Lord uh, will begin in the house of King Saul and at the table, Abner... His chief of staff is to his right. David is to his left, his son-in-law. And across the table from Saul would be Jonathan. Hide for three days. You shall stay beside for the travelers. I shall shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I shall send the youth saying to the youth, go find my arrows and if you hear me say to the youth, look, the arrows are on this side of you, then take it and come for it is well with you. And there's nothing to the matter as Yahweh lives. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond where you go, then you should leave for Yahweh has sent you away. That will be the signal to David that Saul is after David, and concerning the matter which we have spoken, I and you, behold, Yahweh is between me and you forever. And David hid in the field. And when it was the new moon, Saul sat down to the meal to eat. The, the intricacies and the evil of the world system 
are revealed throughout the New Testament. Power, the demon of power is a very strong demon. And Saul does not belong on the throne now that David has been anointed. But Saul will not give it up. Not even to the life of his son, Jonathan. We'll see this as we go along here. Saul means to hold on to power at any cost. It doesn't matter what it takes. It doesn't matter whose life is in the way. Now, this is just one example. The Old Testament with regard to kings and transfer of power and so forth is replete with this kind of thing, not just among the Israelites and then the Jews in the southern kingdom, but among Gentiles as well. And then you get into the, to, into the New Testament and, and the power of the nations, the power of the Gentiles and the struggle that the church the struggle that the people of God have with it in the Old Testament Israel and the struggle the church has with it in the New Testament. This never stops until the Lord comes. It's the way of the world. It's the demon of power that enters into the hearts of those who are willing to receive it. So here it is working itself out in the life of young David who has befriended Jonathan, who is supposed to be the heir to the throne, but in his heart has already abdicated that in favor of David with the promise that David will never destroy his household. Now David also is married to the daughter of Saul. So this thing is a little bit complicated. Saul's wagon is hooked today to David's wagon. And at this moment in time, David's wagon is somewhat hooked to Saul's wagon. He has a wife who is Saul's daughter and his best friend who is Saul's son who is supposed to be the heir to the throne. This thing is complicated. And then this, to make it worse, there is a covenant that is made between Jonathan of the household of Saul and David, who is the heir to the throne and whose son someday will be the Messiah. David carries that promise, that covenant. Now he's hiding from Saul. Saul means to kill him. Jonathan is looking out after David. So here we go. We move from Jonathan and David to Saul and Jonathan and David. So it's the new moon, it's the feast. And the king sat upon his seat, as at other times, upon the seat by the wall, and Jonathan arose, and Abner sat down beside Saul, and David's place was vacant. You have to understand, Saul knows that David has been anointed to be the king. And so he's, he, he sits with his back to the wall. He sits with a spear at his side. He doesn't really trust anybody. And he's doing whatever he has to do to keep David from, from raising up an army, an army and taking over his throne. 
David's place was vacant. Saul didn't say anything on that day for he thought, well, it's just an incident. He's not clean. He's unclean. He could have touched a dead animal. He could have been with his wife. Leviticus, what, chapters 7 and following, give, give the ways a person can be unclean and cannot come to the meal after his uncleanness, but first must wash himself and then put on new clothes and then after that period of time can come back. So it's okay. He must be unclean, thinks Saul. It's okay. But the trouble starts if he misses two nights in a row because a Jew, knowing that he had just become unclean according to the Levitical code, would immediately take to the task of cleansing himself. All right, so it was on the next day of the new moon, the second day of the month, that David's place was vacant. So now is the second time he's not there. Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse? Now see, that's sort of a disrespectful term. The son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today. Jonathan answered Saul, David asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, let me go away now for we have a family sacrifice in the city for he, my brother commanded me. So he says, David's brother commanded him to come and be with the family. And now if I found favor in your eyes, let me slip away now and see my brothers. He therefore did not come to the king's table. Saul doesn't buy it. And Saul's wrath was kindled against Jonathan. He sees that Jonathan is taking, he's making excuses for David. And he said to him, you son, you son of a perverse woman, you son of a straying woman, deserving of punishment. Did I not know that you choose the son of Jesse to your shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? <laughs> well, okay. The king says to Jonathan, you are the son of a woman who has been with another man. You are not my son. You're an illegitimate child of your mother. You're not deserving. You're not really part of my family. You don't deserve to be here at the table with me. You're not, you must not be my son. And you are sitting here to the shame of your mother's nakedness. She went to bed with another man and you were the result. And you're doing this to me because you're not really my son. For all the days that the son of Jesse is living on the earth, you and your kingdom will not be established. And now send and take him to me, for he is condemned to death. Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, why should he be put to death? What's he done? And Saul took his spear and threw it to kill Jonathan. And then Jonathan knew that it had been decided upon by his father to put David to death. Well, it was pretty clear, wasn't it? Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger. He didn't eat any food on the second day of the, of the new moon, for he was grieved concerning David, for his father had put him to shame. His father had condemned him to death, David, to death. Tried to kill his own son, called him the son of another man. 
And it was in the morning that Jonathan went out at David's appointed time, and a small boy was with him. And he said to his boy, Run now and find the arrows which I shoot. The boy ran and he shot the arrow to cause it to go beyond him. The lad came up to the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, and Jonathan called after the lad and said, Isn't the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the lad, Quickly listen and do not stand. And Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came to his master, and the lad knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said to him, Go and bring them to the city. The lad departed, and David arose from a place toward the south, and he fell upon his face to the ground three times and prostrated himself three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, but David more so. David is grieved. He's losing a friend, but he's condemned to death, and now he's in exile and has to hide and doesn't know why. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace and bear in mind that we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, in the name of Yahweh, saying, May Yahweh be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Now that's okay to do that. But somewhere along the way, and Yahweh knew this, somewhere along the way, surely, a descendant of Jonathan would have had a problem with the son of David sitting on the throne. And if he, had, if he and, and Michal had had uh, children, Saul's daughter, if, they, if David and Michal had had children together, that would, have, that would have further complicated the issue in the years and generations to come. But you know what happens? On over later on, Saul, Jonathan, and all of Saul's sons, along with Saul, die on the battlefield. And they have no descendants. McCall is put away and then she dies and she dies childless. So David and McCall never had children. And God spared David from the complications and, and the son of David, the sons of David yet to come, spared them the, the difficult complications that surely would have come if any of Saul's household had lived. But they did not live. Although they made a covenant and that David's generations would never, would never come against Jonathan's generations, that was not the plan of God. And so it, it stops with Jonathan and David and doesn't work itself out. And the whole chapter, well really the whole, the whole account of David's life, screams of the sovereignty of God. The plan and purpose that God has established that will not be removed. It will not be altered. It cannot be. This is the way of God. So, we all, of course, we already know what happens to Saul and then what happens to David and then the establishment of his great kingdom and, and so forth. We can see that already. They didn't know that then, but you and I can see that even here, 
God is directly involved in the matters of court, in the matters of power and authority. The demon of power who sways the hearts of kings and does the awful things that he does yet still is in the hand of a sovereign God. And God's people have gone through very difficult times. It'll be, a, it'll be a while before some of the tribes ever buy in to David's kingship. Those were difficult times. All the way through the Old Testament, God's people, they have difficult times. That's, that's the way pe God's people struggle in this world. But then would come a prophet or a righteous king, or here comes the Lord Christ himself and then the church to remind us of the sovereign grace of God and his power. And that we're not at home in this world. This world is destroying itself with lust for power by, by people everywhere, in every nation. And <laughs> you think in our nation? And sometimes the things in the world get very complicated, stay complicated. But the people of God have a very simple focus. And that simple focus is on the power of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God, the sovereign rule of God. We can go all, we can just keep reading the Bible and reading the Bible and reading the Bible and we always see that it comes to the same conclusion and it's never edited out that finally the kingdom of God is established and the son of David sits on that throne forever. And God's people have a part in that kingdom that will never know an end an eternal kingdom that finally after the millennial kingdom is delivered up to the Father so that all may become one and it's a new age and a new heaven and a new earth, the plan of God. And we, we're, we're just soldiers along the way and we fit into that as citizens of God's kingdom. And we have to even, I'm, I'm hoping and praying not, but thinking that things can become difficult if the Lord doesn't take us away first, things can become difficult in the, in the near future for the church and, and for preaching the, the, the gospel and teaching the Bible. But it's, we're not the first generation if that happens like that. We're not the first ones to face that. This is, and God's preserving power is always sufficient. It's always there. So that generation after generation, we still see the people of God actively involved in worship and service to the Lord. And we see just a little bit of that here working itself out under the hand of God in chapter 20. We'll stop there and have our deacon prayer time.